Okay, this is uh, lecture number one in our course on the New Age Movement and the World of the Occult. The New Age Movement and the World of the Occult. Uh, we're going to look at the New Age Movement first. Uh, if you look at page one of your uh, handouts, I just want to open up with a passage Paul preaching on Mars Hill. Uh, the Christian church today actually is finding itself on Mars Hill just as Paul was. Uh, there's a battle going on between uh, the world's uh, three leading world views. Uh, Christian theism, pantheism, the belief that God is the universe, and uh, atheism, the belief that there is no God. That was the where the Apostle Paul found himself in Acts chapter 17, uh, starting at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens... His spirit was being provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him and some were saying, What would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, that's Mars Hill, basically, uh, brought him to the Areopagus, saying, uh, may we know that this new teaching, uh, may we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Uh, we want to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians... And the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. And Paul stood, by the way, it sounds like America today. Verse 22, And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. He was looking for some way to compliment them to find some common ground. Verse 23, For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with, altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So basically they, they had all their multitudes of gods, false gods that they were worshipping, but then they thought, well, just in case we left out one, we don't want to take them off, let's, let's set up a statue, an idol of uh, the unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And so what Paul is arguing is, I, I know about the God that you don't know about, the one true God who created heavens, the heavens and the earth. Verse 24, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. So he's quoting from, the, from Greek poets that uh, predate him by about 600 years. Verse 29, uh, being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, 
an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men that uh, declaring to men that all everywhere should repent, because He has fixed the day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, "We shall hear you again concerning this." So Paul went out of their midst. But some some men joined him and believed, among whom also was Dionysius, the Areopagite, the, the yeah, close enough, and a woman named Demarius, and others with him. Now, uh, the reason why uh, so many of them just took off when, once he mentioned. Uh, the resurrection was a hangover from Plato that the invisible world of the unchanging ideas the universals uh, the realm of the invisible soul uh, that's the ultimate in reality and the physical realm is less real less important and it just gets in the way so as far as Plato was concerned uh, being released from the body uh, was all important therefore the Greeks were not looking forward to a, a re bodily resurrection so Paul found common ground with them even pulled some of their quotes out of their context because like, when their poets were saying in him we live and move and have our being they were talking pantheism God is the universe well Paul kind of twisted it out of its context and said well there's a sense in which I would agree with this but what Paul is saying is that uh, only through God's power do we have existence and God not only gave us the beginning of our existence but he sustains us in existence and everything we have we owe to him uh, so Paul found some common ground with them but eventually he had to get to the gospel message and once he brought up the, the resurrection uh, obviously there were some that just could not accept that but Paul preaching on Mars Hill uh, three opposing worldviews here. Uh, Paul was representing Christian theism. This is the belief that God, a personal God, created the universe. And by personal, what I mean, you can be personal and not have a body. Even Lucifer is a personal being. He doesn't have a body. Uh, but to be a personal being, you'd have to have an intellect, emotions, and will. And... Uh, even uh, even to a degree, there's there's a small degree where even animals have that, although it's really not a will. Uh, they do things based on reward or punishment, and and based on uh, 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 I don't know, I would what's what's that? Yeah, instinct. Instinct is the word I'm looking for. Uh, but basically, even where there's points of similarity, there one thing that a dog and an angel. Uh, a human being and an angel can do that an animal can is worship God and that's part of being created in God's image but Christian theism teaches that a personal God created the universe and that God transcends the universe he is separate from the universe uh, as its creator but he is also imminent in other words though he is separate from the creation he is also involved with his creation he sustains his creation and existence and he can intervene and perform miracles uh, when he so chooses. So that's the God of Christian theism that Paul was representing. The Epicureans were, were basically the forerunners of the modern atheists. 
they believe that God does not exist and that only matter exists. And then they argue that pleasure is the highest good. Now, they were technically not hedonists, although around the time of Paul, I, I would imagine many, many Epicureans were hedonists, but the original Epicureans were not hedonists. What, what they, when they said pleasure is the highest good, they meant intellectual pleasure above uh, physical pleasure and uh, immorality and that type of thing, but the later Epicureans did, uh, did become hedonists. Uh, but... Uh, uh, the Stoics, on the other hand, were, were monists. They believe all reality is one. They were basically pantheists. They believe that God is the universe and that only mind exists, that the material world, the physical world, is an illusion. And so you have this battle between atheism, pantheism, and Christian theism. And even today, we're seeing that in Western culture uh, with the uh, uh, atheist dinosaurs, the professors and still uh, reigning on the college campuses throughout this, this country. Most uh, philosophy professors uh, that actually have, you know, that have tenure and stuff are, are probably uh, atheists, though uh, it, it looks like the, the pantheist, the New Age type uh, professors are probably going to, you know, eventually replace them. But you have this battle between Christian theism, uh, atheism, and pantheism. Now, when Paul dealt with them, it, 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 what is so tough is that there is so little common ground. When you, when you have, I mean, when you talk to a, a Muslim, at least he believes in a personal creator God. And when you talk to a Jew, at least he believes in a personal creator God. But when you talk to a pantheist who believes that all reality is one and all reality is God, and so each one of us can say, I am God, or when you talk to an atheist who says there is no God, it makes it harder to find common ground. We see how what Paul did. He found some passages from respected Greek poets, Greek philosophers, that the, uh, his listeners uh, would have known. And then after finding that common ground, he pointed out several things to them, uh, pointing out that God is transcendent. Yes, he is imminent but he is also transcendent. In pantheism, God is so imminent that the creator and the creation, the distinction is totally removed. And uh, Paul saying, no, there is a distinction there. And so basically, I just want to set the stage for this course. Uh, Norman Geisler and uh, David Clark in their books, uh, their book, Apologetics in the New Age, they start their book uh, with this, with Paul preaching on Mars Hill. And I think it sets the stage for uh, this class as well. And that's why I wanted to start there to show that we find ourselves today in the 1990s, uh, approaching the year 2000, on Mars Hill once again, like the Apostle Paul, and the battle between three opposing worldviews, Christian theism, uh, atheism, and New Age pantheism. Now I want to define the New Age movement. It's point C on page 1. Point number one, the New Age movement is the immersing of the United States with Hindu philosophy. The immersing of the United States with Hindu philosophy, with Eastern thought, okay? Eastern pantheism. pantheism. Point number two, now, now some of the terms are, are going to be changed. and Sometimes we'll take popular Christian terms and redefine them from an Eastern standpoint, from a Hinduistic standpoint. And uh, so often it's, it, it's kind of 
Hinduism in uh, uh, utilizing Western terminology. Okay. Point number two, it's the current, we're uh, defining the New Age movement, it's the current revival of ancient occultism. By occultism we mean the secret arts. You, you'll see bumper stickers, uh, born again pagan, that type of thing, neo-pagan. Uh, there, you know, a lot of people in, within this movement are openly admitting that, that it's a revival of ancient occultism, the secret arts. Point number three, it uh, entertains the belief in a new age of enlightenment and peace which man is supposedly evolving towards. It's referred to many different ways. One of the ways is as the age of Aquarius. So it's the belief in a new age of enlightenment and peace which man is evolving towards. Point number four, this is uh, the books that I recommended and we will uh, later on in this course take a look at... Uh, at several, in fact, well, after we after we define the New Age movement, we'll skip ahead and take a look at some of the some of the books that I recommend for reading uh, beyond the text, uh, the required text. But uh, we'll finish with the definition first. Uh, point number four: the New Age movement is not a conscious conspiracy. Now, I'm not saying that there are no conscious conspiracies to try to take over the world. I'm sure that no matter what age man lived in, there's always some flake out there trying to figure out how, you know, plot how to take over the world. And I'm sure that there's times that some of those flakes have money and power, which means they have a chance of pulling a thing off. But what I'm saying is the New Age movement itself is not a conscious conspiracy just because there's a new ager over here in Washington State saying the same beliefs and looking, toward, looking forward to a one world government based on a, the new age religion and there's somebody in New Jersey saying the same thing does not mean they're in cahoots, okay? If anything, there's, there's more, you know, it's more of a splintered movement than anything else. So it's not a conscious conspiracy, though it is demonically inspired if we accept the biblical worldview, which means that uh, when you start seeing the pieces come together, even if it isn't individual human beings putting those pieces together, uh, there are personal beings on the demonic realm that are probably putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And point number five in our definition of the New Age movement, uh, it is a coalition or network of numerous groups, a coalition or network, network of numerous groups who share similar beliefs and goals. Okay? Now, let me say this about the New Age movement. Uh, in fact, turn to page 9. I've got the heading there, uh, Books That Refute the New Age Movement. Uh, some of them are the books required. Some of the books that require reading for this course. Uh, others are not, but uh, uh, and then there's another book I'd like to add, too, uh, in, in just a minute here. But uh, there have been so many books that have been written on the New Age movement that were not written by scholars who knew what they were talking about. But these books, refuting the New Age movement, I think are uh, real well done. Uh, Apologetics in the New Age is one of the most scholarly works that I've seen on the New Age movement. And all it does is it just refutes all the different types of pantheism. There's several different types of pantheism 
absolute pantheism where all reality is one then there's like emanational pantheism where it admits yes there are diverse things but they all emanate from the ultimately real one being okay so there's different types of pantheism we're not going to get into that in this course do you know if he refutes that polar panentheism? Not in not in that book. Uh, I don't I don't believe. It's been a long time since I read it. Uh, but panentheism, I, I believe it's uh, uh, Geisler's uh, book uh, on world views. He refutes panentheism, and he also does in his Christian apologetics work. Um, and uh, I can't can't think off the top of my head any other ones. But but apologetics in the New Age by David Clark and Norman Geisler, published by Baker Bookhouse is a real scholarly work in the field. Uh, the Infiltration of the New Age by Norman Geisler and J. Yutaka Amano, published by Tyndale House. Uh, the Reincarnation Sensation, published by Geisler and Amano, uh, uh, authored by them, published again by Tyndale. Real good work that just deals with reincarnation itself and refutes it. Uh, the Religion of the Force, uh, published by Geisler and Amano, uh, uh, authored by Geisler and Amano, published by Quest Publishing House, a real little book about how the uh, Star Wars was based on, uh, um, uh, basically it was in a, kind of an evangelistic film trying to promote uh, Hindu type thought, Hinduism, and uh, the, the dark side of the force and the, the good side of the force and that type of thing, and that's why they coined the phrase, the force be with you rather than God be with you. Now the force, it's an impersonal force like electricity rather than the personal God of the Bible, okay? Uh, and then, by the way, I'm not saying the Star Wars movies aren't good movies to watch. I know we got a few sci-fi uh, flakes here in the, in the class. And, uh, and uh, but all I'm saying is study your Bible and do your homework so you know what's being thrown at you when you get it. But but the guy who uh, produced the film was it, was it Lucas? Yeah, he openly admitted that 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 was one of his goals was to to basically preach uh, uh, to basically to preach uh, uh, Hinduism in the West through it. Uh, Confronting the New Age uh, by Douglas Grotice, uh, uh, InterVarsity. Revealing the New Age Jesus by Douglas Grotice, uh, also uh, published by InterVarsity, and Unmasking the New Age by Douglas Grotice, InterVarsity. Uh, uh, Unmasking the New Age, uh, that, we're accepting that as one of the uh, primary readings for this course, but Revealing the New Age Jesus, now he just came out with it, and I, I can't remember the, uh, the newest title. But uh, Douglas Grotheis told me that uh, uh, his Unmasking the New Age sold real well, but then his, uh, late, the next two books on the New Age movement didn't sell real well. New, the New Age is not a popular phrase anymore. And, uh, and see, you have to recognize it was never a unified movement, and uh, most of the people within this movement didn't even call themselves New Agers. Uh, but I agree with Grotheis that the reason why the, term, the, the, the phrase the New Age isn't popular anymore is not because it's a thing of the past, but it's because it's saturated just about every aspect of society, whether you're talking about self-help works, whether you're talking about business 
whether you're talking about uh, public education, whether you're talking about religion, uh, philosophy, it has saturated every aspect of culture to the point where um, it is so widespread um, that it's, it's almost becoming synonymous with American culture. I mean, now all of a sudden, Christians are being looked, on, looked upon as the bad guys because they can't tolerate other religions. Well, the Christians aren't saying that we should persecute people of other religions. We're just saying that we believe that salvation is only through Jesus. Jesus said in John 14:6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So he's saying, if you don't trust in me for salvation, I'm the only one who can save you. If you don't trust in me for salvation, you'll be eternally lost. And now, uh, the New Age movement, which teaches all faiths lead to God, uh, are beginning, uh, m many Americans are beginning to look down on traditional Christians. And so this New Age pluralistic type thinking. Now, obviously, the, the, the crazy thing is, is when you say it's wrong not to tolerate all religions, you have to believe all religions go to heaven, what are you doing? You're, you're not tolerating any exclusivistic religions. Okay? So in the end, I believe the end outcome of this could very well be Christians being thrown into, into prisons uh, because we're violating uh, other people's supposed freedom by telling them to go to hell if they don't accept Jesus. Uh, and what happens is those who say they tolerate all faiths, you find that they have less toleration of Christianity than Christianity out of them. I mean, they're free to hold to their beliefs. I don't want to see New Agers thrown in... in prison because of their religious beliefs um, uh, but at the same time we might see that and, and when, you, when you read the New Age works the big thing the big roadblock that is keeping the world mankind from evolving and reaching the next stage in spiritual evolution is Christians that's the big roadblock because Christianity teaches that the, the uh, statement that man is God that's the lie in the garden that Lucifer gave to Adam and Eve and caused them to fall. That's not truth that's going to set us free. That's what's got us, got us into bondage in the first place. And so it only makes sense that if, if this new age of peace is going to come, but, the, but Christians are the ones that get in the way, it only makes sense that there's got to eventually be a final solution. And when I say the final solution, uh, I'm using those exact words because it was used by, you know, Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich, but eventually uh, it's gonna, I believe it's going to come to that. The New Age cult by uh, Professor Walter Martin. Uh, you could use either the New Age cult by Walter Martin, published by Bethany House, or Unmasking the New Age by Douglas Groteis, or a crash course on the New Age movement by Elliot Miller, published by Baker Bookhouse. Any one of those three books would be a good primary text. I recommend you get all three or as many of these as you can. Uh, another book that I, when I updated my notes, which you don't have a copy of, that you might want to jot down is UFOs in the New Age. UFOs in the New Age by William Alnor. We will be talking about uh, UFOs a little bit later in this uh in a section of this course that deals with the New Age movement, but that won't be for a couple weeks, probably. Okay, so uh, those are uh, some really good books to, to look into. I would recommend someday getting all of them if they're still in print. 
Usually it seems like 80% of the books that I recommend are no longer in print because only, uh, only uh, wannabe theologians like us read them. And uh, that's probably what less than 1% of the Christian population today. Okay. Uh, all right, we defined uh, the New Age movement. Now we need to uh, look at its history the history of the New Age movement. Uh, basically, the New Age movement had its roots in ancient occultism, the secret arts. Uh, ancient, it's ancient uh, religious practices found in uh, Sumeria, uh, India, Egypt, Babylon, and Persia. A few biblical passages I want to look at which show them uh, in Egypt and then in ancient uh, uh, Babylon. First, uh, Egypt in Exodus chapter 7. Verses 10 to 12. It says, So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and thus they did just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. For each one threw down his staff, and they turned into serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. And of course the implication there, God, obviously, he's the one who set up the laws of nature the way uh, nature usually works. Uh, he can intervene and supersede those laws and perform a miracle. At the same time, the demonic realm is also able to perform uh, certain works that go beyond the natural laws that supersede nature. Uh, but though there is power in the world of the occult, and there, though there is power in the demonic realm, God is all-powerful, and so he is able to overpower the, the demonic realm. Uh, Take a look at uh, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Verses 1 to 3. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he was the, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the, the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. And so there, the, the magicians, conjurers, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. I mean, the Chaldeans just meant the Babylonians, but they were so... Uh, they had so many different sorcerers there that, that uh, Chaldeans became a technical term uh, for their magicians there. And so uh, uh, the New Age movement had its roots in the ancient occultism and religion, religious practices of ancient uh, civilizations such as Sumeria, India, Egypt, Babylon, and Persia. Uh, but then it kind of came back into the picture in modern times 
uh, uh, with the help of the Theosophical Society. Theosophical Society founded by Helena Blavatsky in 1875. The Theosophical Society uh, had three goals. Number one, they wanted the, to express the universal brotherhood of all mankind. Number two, uh, they wanted to express the unity of all religions. They believed all religions were basically saying the same thing once you get down to it. And then number three, they wanted to tap into the spiritual powers latent within man. Uh, the Theosophical Society uh, promoted spiritism. That's where uh, uh, the spirits of the dead supposedly communicate with the living. We're, we're seeing that now, nowadays through uh, the, uh, the new mediums of today are the channelers uh, that we see today. That, that, that is the... Uh, and you got some legitimate ones, and you, that are really a demon is really speaking through them, and then you've got some phonies. Uh, but we'll, we'll look into that as we go on. But they promoted the uh, 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 theosophy, promoted spiritism, seances, and Hindu philosophy in the United States. This led to the current revival of ancient occultism in the United States, i.e., the New Age movement. Uh, Blavatsky taught that the world awaits many avatars. Uh, basically, an avatar is the manifestation of God who revealed the truth to the world. Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad were just uh, three of many avatars. Annie Besant led the Theo Theosophical Society after Blavatsky. Another key member of the Theosophical Society is Alice Bailey, who uh, communicated with many spirit guides. So just, just like the, the channeling that's going on today. Uh, Theosophical books are very popular with New Agers today, and uh, their publishing company of uh, the Theosophical Society is Lucius Trust. Now, that's the, the company that publishes Alice Bailey's works. It was formerly called Lucifer Publishing Company, but their sales weren't doing too good, so they changed the name to Lucius Trust, and now their sales are booming. Okay? Uh, by the way, in, uh, in uh, masonry, and in, in many New Age circles, uh, Lucifer is uh, openly declared at times to, to, to have been given a rap, bad rap by Christianity, and he's really a good guy after all. And in fact, it's, I believe it's the 33rd order of the Masons is the Luciferian order. And now, now the thing is, you may reject the Bible, but for people to say they accept the Bible and then to say Lucifer is a good guy, I mean, that just doesn't follow. It's either the Bible... If the Bible is true, Lucifer is the biggest enemy that God has ever had or will ever have. Yeah. In uh, Freemasonry writes that in the Scottish Rite, in the 33rd Order, one of the books that I read on it, they, the name they use for God as a being, they call him Jebulon, which is a combination of Jehovah, Baal, and Osiris. Yeah. yeah actually, I think, I think it's an, even uh, in the... Even in the lower orders, where they actually come out with that, and uh, a lot of illiterate Christians will say, "Well, and illiterate, I don't mean that they can't read. I just mean the biblically illiterate Christians, who I should have termed it." But they say, "Well, yeah, with God's three persons, the Bible says, yeah, but yeah, three distinct persons making up one God, and but this one God is called Jehovah. You can call any member of the of the Trinity Jehovah, with Yahweh or Lord." Um, but to bring in Baal, the false Canaanite god, um, 
or any of the other uh, false gods. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 trying to to blend together uh, different religions, which uh, the Bible uh, states are not uh, are, are false. Uh, I want to just touch on the spiritual history of America, and then we'll take a few questions and close out the lecture. Spiritual history of America, Christian theism basically dominated from 1620 to 1860. His belief in the God of the Bible and the traditional values taught in the Bible. Uh, the pilgrims, when they came over, they came over for religious freedom, and there were the Puritans and the Separatists. The Separatists said the Church of England is so bad that we just need to separate from them. The Puritans say, well, they're messed up, but we can purify the Church of England from within. Uh, but they, they came over for religious reasons. Even the Declaration of Independence, which was written by a deist, uh, Thomas Jefferson, he, he denied the deity of Christ. He believed God created the universe, but then God left it alone. Uh, he believed God could still answer prayers and was uh, could provide for man, but he wouldn't violate natural laws and perform miracles. So he was not a Christian, but he had enough biblical principles in the Declaration of Independence to found uh, this nation on biblical principles such as all men are created equal and because we're created in God's image and that God instituted human government to protect the man's freedom not to suppress the man but to protect man's freedom because human life is sacred therefore man's life liberty and the pursuit of happiness must be protected uh, the battle hymn of the Republic uh, during the Civil War the, uh, is talked about uh, uh, Christ uh, dying for our sins as he died to ma make men holy let us die to make men free so a big heavy influence of the Christ of Christian theism from about 1620 to 1860 but uh, the first major shift in the worldview occurred from 1860 to about 1930 now deism had already been popular deism is is kind of the, the, the Christian God uh, watered down uh, in large areas okay and so it's the Christian God becoming more and more irrelevant until eventually you come to the conclusion well if that's our view of God he's so irrelevant why believe in God at all okay so so deism is kind of the halfway house between Christianity and atheism okay if atheism is God is dead deism is God is wounded okay um, but the first major shift in worldview 18, from about 1860 to 1930, deism had already been popular. Deism was the view that God did not intervene or perform miracles. Uh, God was basically viewed as irrelevant. And then Charles Darwin popped on the scene. It was actually 1859 when he published The Origin of Species. Uh, he he uh, basically was arguing for atheistic evolution, although Darwin did at time throw in uh, hints that he may have still retained some type of belief in God. Some some scholars argue he was doing it because of his Christian wife. Uh, others argue he was doing it so that he wouldn't be uh, pushed out of uh, Christian circles. But whatever the case, uh, what he was promoting uh, led to the idea of atheistic evolution, naturalism, that all there is is the material universe and everything could be explained with natural causes. You don't need any supernatural cause, uh, especially not God. And so American society began to go secular. Uh, 
everything was viewed with kind of man uh, as the measure, man as the focal point. And uh, American society began to go uh, secular. Uh, secular humanism then from 1930 to about 1960 began to dominate. The Humanist Manifesto number one was written in 1933, and that Humanist Manifesto number two was written in 1973. But it, it basically taught atheistic evolution. It taught that traditional religion is harmful, and we need to replace it with a an atheistic sort of religion. And uh, they argue that through technology we can save the earth. Okay. Uh, you, you, you see the way that the, the thought was shifting in 1925. The two evolution trials, one was in 1925, the other was in the 1980s. The 1925 evolution trial, the ACLU argued it was wrong to only teach creation in the public schools and we should teach creation and evolution and let the students decide. Okay, But in the 1980s, things had changed so much that now the ACLU argued that it's wrong to teach both creation and evolution in the public schools. We should only teach evolution because creation is uh, religious. You know, but I actually, in, in reality, if the statement there is no God, uh, if the statement there is, there is a God, if that is a religious statement, then the statement there is no God is also a religious statement. Yeah, Jeff? Who wrote the Humanist Manifesto? Uh, they were basically... Uh, just signed by a bunch of guys. For instance, so they drew it up together and then signed it. John Dewey, the father, father of modern education. You wonder why kids are graduating after a four-year degree. Great automobile mechanics, and they can barely read and write, but they can't read and write well enough to uh, uh, avoid being deceived by the intellectual elite, you know? Uh, that was the, the, those were the views of John Dewey, how we could turn America into a socialistic society by training people to be productive members of the society but barely teaching them to read and write so they won't be thinkers so then the socialistic thinkers can then dictate from that point. But John Dewey was one of the signers. Uh, Humanist Manifesto too. Paul Kurtz, a professor from I believe NYU that Norman Geisler debated, uh, he was the guy that uh, kind of edited it as well. Uh, you know, it's a very, very, very small document. Uh, you can go to the public library. They don't let you check it out, uh, but you can you can make copy every page there in ten minutes. There's only about thirty or forty pages tops. B. F. Skinner signed it. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, moral relativism at this time, 1930-1960, moral relativism uh, was on the rise. Uh, the idea is what's right for you is right for you, doesn't have to be right for me, and vice versa. Basically what happened was society had rejected philosophical atheism. Even though the universities were being beginning to be controlled by atheists, society as a whole rejected philosophical atheism. This country has never had more than 6 or 7% of its population as atheists. In fact, the whole world, I don't think there was ever a time where the, when the whole world was ever even close to 10% of its population atheist. So deep down, man knows there's more to reality than just the physical realm. But society rejected philosophical atheism. In other words, they still believed that some type of God existed, but they began to accept practical atheism. They lived like there was no God and like they were their own king, and what's right for me is right for me, doesn't have to be right for you, and vice versa, okay? 
So you see this leading up to the uh, second major shift in worldview, 1960 to 1990. Americans, because of, of the practical atheism and living in a secular society, Americans began to starve for spiritual experiences. Okay? Um, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man does not live on bread alone, but on every utterance of the mouth of God. In other words, he's saying you need, man needs to be nourished. He has more than just physical needs. He also has spiritual needs, and only God can meet those spiritual needs. Well, we were in the process of rejecting the God of the Bible, so we didn't want him, but we knew that we needed more than physical nourishment, and so we wanted to have these spiritual or mystical experiences. Um, Dr. Timothy Leary uh, from Harvard, he argued that Jean-Paul Sartre and the existentialist saying that there is no God so there's no meaning to life but man desperately needs meaning therefore we need to take a leap of blind faith into the non-rational realm and create meaning for our lives. Dr. Timothy Leary said, you know, Jean-Paul, that's too hard to do. But maybe we can artificially induce these leaps of blind faith into the non-rational realm uh, through LSD trips. And, you know, the Beatles read his works, and then the Beatles started doing their thing. And some people view the, the Beatles as just followers. Others view them as, as leaders. But somewhere along the line, the, the Beatles influenced an entire generation. Uh, uh, you have the, the, the hippie movement, uh, the rebellion against materialism, rebellion against authority, all during the 1960s. And uh, now these... Uh, hippies with the long hair and the beards and mustache and most of us in this room or at least some of us, I don't know, maybe I'm too old or whatever, but a lot of us I, I, I was born the first day of 1960, but by the 70s I had a long hair, if you call it that a big mushroom shaped afro halfway down my back uh, um, but the I don't have problems with a guy who was into moral relativism in the 60s and was a hippie and a dope smoker and sexually immoral, I don't have problems if he repented. Okay? Problem is, a lot of those guys never changed their views. They just realized, look, this isn't working fighting authority. Let's work within the system. So they took a bath. They cut, got a haircut. They shaved. Uh, they brushed their teeth. Uh, some, of them, some of them are still... Yeah, they, then they took over the Democratic Party. Not, not to endorse candidates here or anything, no. But basically, some of these guys, you know, now they're wearing three-piece suits and they're sitting in Congress, they're sitting in the White House, not to mention any names, but, but, but basically, you know, but some of these guys uh, still hold their same, the same anti-American views. They just dress them up in different socially acceptable terminology. Uh, they, some of them probably still smoke, smoke dope, maybe snort cocaine, I don't know. And some of them are still sexually immoral. Can't stick to one woman. And uh, the, the thing is, too, is now, I, 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 my own view, I think the Democratic Party was taken over quicker than the Republican Party. But I'll tell you, there's some things, there's some things that I hear about Newt Gingrich, about his past and uh, the books he writes and that type of thing, that uh, there are some big inroads into the into that party as well. And by the way, you read W. Cleon Skousen, a high-ranking former member of the FBI, his book, The, the Naked Communist, 
he lists the 45 goals of the Communist Party take over America from within. And um, uh, one of the goals was to take over at least one, if not both, of the political parties in America. And I think pretty much, you know, what we call liberal today is basically a different word for socialism or communism. But, but when you look at people who call themselves conservatives today, 85% of them are very socialistic in their thinking. And big government's got all the answers. So uh, whatever the case, New Age pantheism from, from about, I just put 1990 as an arbitrary date till, till now and moving on. America seeking spiritual experiences but rejecting the God of the Bible and traditional values. And so Americans are ripe for the New Age. The belief that uh, uh, pantheism, God is the universe, therefore man is God, therefore he decides what's right for him. Moral relativism, what's right for me is right for me, doesn't have to be right for you and vice versa. The idea that man can save this planet. 1982 Gallup poll, 23% of Americans believe in reincarnation. Over 65% of Americans read astrology and 40% of Americans claim to have contact with the dead. And so we see a major shift uh, in worldview. Uh, at this point, I'll open it up to, to, to uh, questions, and uh, we we'll probably just take questions for about five or ten minutes here, but uh, if anybody has any questions, speak now or forever hold your peace. Alice Bailey, was she female or male? Female. England or United States? Uh, Blavatsky, I think, was Russian. I'm not sure where exactly the other one, but, but they, the key is they moved this stuff over to the United States. So uh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Uh, but, but by the way, Theosophy was very big. Uh, that book, Resurrecting the Third Reich by Terrell, uh, Huntington House Publishers, uh, the Theosophical literature was very big within the Thule Society in Germany and within the thinking of the, uh, of the Nazi uh, movement in Germany and the rise of Adolf Hitler. In fact, the swastika comes from the Theosophical Society and they got it from uh, ancient Hinduism. The only thing is they reversed the direction. Ancient Hinduism, they were, it was moving uh, in harmony with the creation. The Nazis said, let's put it in the other direction and let's control and dominate nature. <coughs> Any other questions? If no other questions, you guys could take a uh, five-minute break and just be back in four minutes. <laughs>